We believe emotional well-being is intricately tied to spiritual connection. We know that there is hope for those of us who have experienced trauma, even profound trauma, and that's why we created the Universe Is Your Therapist podcast. We envision a world of healing and connection and teach you simple but powerful practices to help you come home to your highest self, to your truest identity. We believe you are a divine soul who's deeply loved and that the entire universe conspires for your good. You're valued beyond comprehension, and we want to help you realize that. You are not broken, you are loved, and you can heal. Hi, my name is Dr. Amy Hoyt, and together with my sister, Lena, a licensed marriage and family therapist, we will lead you on a journey of self-discovery and self-love. All right, welcome back to another episode. Today, we're going to be talking about how to be a boss at self-regulation. So emotional regulation is... I think it's a, such an interesting topic because until we started talking about this together, I didn't understand how much of my own emotional regulation I had let be affected by external factors. So what is internal emotional regulation? I love this concept because the key word here is self regulation. And the reason why that is so key is because it is explicitly identifying that my emotions and my regulation of my emotions are on me. If I just talk about emotional regulation, that's great too. But understanding that it's self-regulation that is really the key to finding freedom and peace and joy is really a gift that we can give ourselves. So it's really an internal locus of control. Absolutely. Instead of an external locus of control. And so what I'm thinking is I'm aware that this past year with COVID for quite a while, my regulation was determined by almost all external forces. So whether I was watching the news, whether I was watching different stories about the spread of the virus or death, I mean, pretty much anything to do with the global pandemic really took a lot of my emotional regulation out of my internal locus. And I was allowing all the external factors to dictate my mood. And it took me several months to realize a very deep depression going back to therapy to realize that I could actually control what I allowed in my mind and start to regulate myself despite the external circumstances. Yes. And you pegged it because being able to self-regulate includes, first of all, being aware of what's impacting us. Second of all, knowing what we can control and not control and letting go of what we can't control and focusing on our own selves, our own behavior, our own internal responses and emotions. And external locus of control is really how most of us grew up. So if you think about in family dynamics, one common refrain that I've heard over the years is, I wouldn't have to yell at you. So this is parents talking to their teens. I wouldn't have to yell at you if you would listen to me the first time. And one thing that I do when I've been working with people for a while is I'll point out that you as a parent have trained your child not to listen and you as a kid have trained your parent to yell. And none of that needs to happen if each person takes responsibility for managing their reactions to other external experiences. I feel like it's a very, very difficult concept to practice. I mean, I've been 
working on this since I was 18 when I first got sober. And there are times and circumstances where I feel like I'm doing really well. And there are times and circumstances in life where I feel so stretched that not letting the external forces affect my internal sense of peace is extremely difficult. Tell us some of the ways that we can set ourselves up for self-regulation in a way that is really going to bring us peace and calm. Because I think that's what most people are looking for. The work of Dr. Janina Fisher in the past 20 years has focused on trauma and how it affects people's ability to regulate their emotions. Her concept is that of a window of tolerance. And it is a two vertical lines. And in between those two vertical lines, we have the ability to think and feel at the same time. If we go above the top line, then we are in hyper arousal and we are having loud strong, sometimes even violent reactions. If we fall below the lower line of our window of tolerance, we are in hypoarousal in which we withdraw, numb out. For some of us, that means sleeping. For some of us, it means using substances. So I think we talked about the window of tolerance in an earlier episode. That's a great reminder. What are some tricks we can do to set ourselves up for success? So one of the things you mentioned was understanding what is triggering us. The really empowering concept around triggers is that my triggers are my business. They are my problem to solve. That if I say to you, I'm sorry, I'm screaming at you. You just triggered me. Then I am not taking responsibility for my emotion regulation. Because you're saying you triggered me. Right. I'm saying, Amy, I wouldn't have had to ask this way if you hadn't said or done that thing. So instead, if you said, I'm really sorry, I felt triggered, that would be accurate. Kind of. I mean, that goes back to the talks that we've been having recently about thoughts versus feelings. And so the experience of being triggered is actually includes an emotional and a physiological component, but it is not a feeling. And so what I find really helpful in terms of thinking about how to conceptualize this is if I say to you that I'm having thoughts and feelings about something that you've said or done, then I'm talking in a way that empowers me to know that these are my thoughts and feelings and therefore they are mine to manage. Not being the victim of other people's behaviors is awesome because we can develop a set set of skills that increases our ability to experience calm and peace, even though everything around us outside of us may not be peaceful or calm. And that is because we can find in internal resources and understand that despite what other people are doing, I always have a choice, even though it doesn't seem that way. I always have a choice in how I react or respond. Okay. So for my example of COVID earlier, once I became aware of how the news cycle was really affecting my internal sense of calm, I was able to limit how much I ingested of news or of really anything that was really bothering me and causing me a lot of distress. That was one way that I help to receive more inner peace. The other way is when I would have thoughts of anxiety or worry, I would journal about them. And for me, 
after about 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes seem to be a lot of worries, a lot of inner critic, a lot of protector parts, just really chattering. And then there's something fun that happens for me about 10 to 15 minutes into journaling and it starts to change. It's almost as if my brain has calmed down and I'm able to really write in a less chaotic way and in a more peaceful way. And I start writing more affirmations and more visualizations and goals. And it's really been interesting for me to see how that repeats almost every day. I love that. I think that's a great example for me, how I experience it. And I've talked to you about this before is that when I am in a great balance of emotion and cognition, I have a sense of what I know from my higher power. And what I know from my higher power is always said in the affirmative, as if coming from a benevolent universe or God. And that in itself is calming to me. And it helps me get out of my panic mind and my reactivity. How do you know when you're outside of your window of tolerance? That is an excellent question. We are having a large or big reaction to something that if we were able to reconnect to our prefrontal cortex and our wise mind, we would recognize is too big. You use an example in one of our earlier podcasts about spilled water in your kitchen and your outsized reaction. And so being able to be aware of the trifecta of body, emotion, and thought, and know that when it's big and loud and a lot, we are not in our window of tolerance and or being smaller, shutting down, numbing out, withdrawing, isolating. Those also are an indication that we are outside of our window of tolerance and hypoarousal. One question that comes to mind for me is I am aware that a lot of women, especially that I know who have trauma, tend to be very, very hard drivers. They overachieve, they overperform. Could that be at some point outside of your window of tolerance as well? And if so, how do you know when that's your norm? Excellent point. I love it. Because yes, one of the things that happens is that we tend to experience ourselves as not good enough or not worthwhile or lovable or valuable. And so we keep performing. One of the things I said to one of my clients the other day was, we are human beings, not human doings. And so when you have a drive to keep doing and going, when the people in your life are saying that they'd like to spend more time with you, when people who love you say, you really need to slow down because I'm worried about you. All of those things can be indications. They're not always, but they're indications. And those are gifts that the universe is giving us to reconsider or to evaluate. One of the things I notice is that I typically don't have people who say, I'm worried about you, that you're working too hard. I believe because I've been able to sustain a very high workload for 30 years. What I hear a lot of is I don't know anyone else who can work like you do. And that to me, as I'm reflecting just now, is an indication to me that I'm still overworking. Even though I have really backtracked a lot of my schedule and I, I'm trying to be extremely intentional now. Now that I'm becoming more connected with my body and I'm recognizing signs of resistance and fatigue instead of just working through them. Instead of driving through, you are attending to the information that your body, your emotions, your thinking is telling you. And what I'm finding is it's very difficult for me to go back to driving so hard. 
And that can be scary for some people. And so some people may say, oh my gosh, will I lose my drive if I learn how to have better balance? And I'm not exactly sure what the answer is to that. The idea that I have in mind is that we want to have a balanced drive. And so many times when we are achievers, we don't have a balanced drive. It's a drive to achieve at the cost of everything else. I don't feel a sense of fear. I feel almost an inability to work as hard as I used to. I literally can't do it. It's startling, but I don't feel afraid. In fact, it feels so much nicer to live this way where I'm not working 80 to 90 hours a week and instead working 30 or 40. It just feels like there's more balance and rhythm in my life. But I am aware that for some people who have unresolved trauma, their MO is going to be to overachieve and they're not going to necessarily notice that that's outside the window of tolerance. Yes. A lot of us who push through things and are very driven or achievement oriented, we don't recognize that that is outside of our window of tolerance. And what I've learned through my own therapy with my therapist is that as I become more aware of my body and my thoughts and my emotions, I can slow myself down on purpose and then ask myself questions. Why do I need to get the garage organized before I leave on this trip? What is going on for me with that? And then I discovered that there's a protector part that says all things must be in order before I leave, even though that doesn't make any sense because the garage is not urgent. And what about the trifecta of emotions, thoughts, and the body. What is the skill set you want to leave listeners with today? One thing that I think is really valuable is to understand that the trifecta of body sensations, our emotions, and our thoughts are actually the magic sauce to healing and to growing. When we learn better how to attend to what's happening in our body and then identify the thoughts and emotions that are also in attendance, we have three ways to bring ourselves back into emotion regulation. So with the body, what we want to be able to do is notice where the energy is in our body at this moment. Different people have different experiences with emotion and energy. Some people will describe it as being in their head. Other people will describe it as being in their arms or their hands. And it's individual to each person. What do you mean by energy? Do you feel like a sense of warmth or do you feel, how do you know for someone who's lived most of their life cut off from their body? How do you know when you have energy in a certain area? What does that feel like? I think that what it feels like is slowing down enough to notice what's happening in your body. You know, when we were talking about that flush that I experienced when we were talking in your kitchen last week, I think when we can attend to what is occurring for us, then what we can do is we can know that that is a source of energy in the body and that energy has information for us. And too many times we fight our emotions or our body sensations. And so we don't gather the information that's so valuable that that contains for us. 
And fighting can also be ignoring. Yes, absolutely. Any other skills that you want to leave our listeners with today? Understanding what emotions you're experiencing. So you can do this in any order. The three areas of body sensation, emotions, and thoughts or cognitions. The goal is to become more aware of what you're experiencing, thinking, or feeling. And using that to inform yourself of what's happening for you. Once you have that information, then you're more likely to be able to access your conscious will and to let go of the fight against those things. Even though it can be really scary, letting go of the fight against those things allows us to come back into a place of balance and helps us to be in our window of tolerance where we can think and feel at the same time. Okay. And once we are in our window of tolerance, we are self-regulated. And self-regulation or being within our window of tolerance allows us both the ability to think and feel at the same time. Therefore, it opens up a range of choices for us because we're not being driven by our autonomic responses. And so I feel really strongly that this ties into my spiritual practice because at the core of my spiritual belief is that we are sovereign individuals who have been granted the ability to make choices and that making choices or agency is a sacred gift. And so I actually wrote my dissertation about women's agency. And when I am reacting out of trauma and my autonomic responses kick in, I notice I have very few choices because there's not enough space for me to stop and make a choice. It's just an auto response. And so for me, this feels like spiritual work. This practice for me of learning to self-regulate allows me a better connection to my sense of choice, which I believe is a sacred gift. That's really a lovely way of looking at it. What I find with my emotion regulation is that I'm more accurate in my perception, more able to have reactions that are responsive to the actual event instead of what's happened in the past. And it gives me the opportunity to connect with my highest sense of self and my wise mind because I'm able to be in that window and can access all these different parts of myself instead of just reacting to the emotion I have found so much benefit from meditating each morning for about, I would say, 15 minutes. And I am able to really calm my mind as well as elevate my emotions to love and gratitude. And so what ends up happening is it sets a baseline for the rest of the day where I have an elevated sense of gratitude and love and appreciation. And that really does set me up so that the rest of the day I'm going into each situation looking for what I'm grateful for instead of what I'm lacking or what I'm missing. And so for me, a morning meditation is essential for self-regulation throughout the day. I think a lot of people who have learned to practice meditation would agree with you that it alters the way we engage after meditation. Our nervous system is more calm and allows us to have a more pleasant experience. And I'm also aware that the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, he does meditation retreats, and I know they have measured the wavelengths 
of the energetic field before and after people meditate. And after people meditate with an elevated sense of emotion, their energetic field radiates, I believe, nine to 10 feet the rest of the day. In his book, Becoming Supernatural, it talks about that and how they've measured the elevated emotions and the energetic frequency that come from elevated emotions. And I find that work really, really interesting. I think it's interesting as well. And you've really introduced me to the concept of the energetic field and how there are certain practices we can engage in that enhance ours. Well, yeah. And it I get really passionate about this because, you know, we can get into this in another episode, but just the basics of quantum physics demonstrates that the closer you look at any object in the universe, it becomes in fact less solid and more vaporous. And so everything, literally everything in the world is made of energy. And I find that so interesting. Yes. And those of you who are interested in how our energy connects us, maybe interested in the book by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor called My Stroke of Insight. And after she had a stroke, she had some of the barriers in her brain reduced so that she could see connection in all things and understood the way that we are all connected to each other in a profound way. It's really beautiful. Have you read the book? I have. I was just reading about the book recently, and I really do want to read it. I believe her stroke left her left or right hemisphere disabled. I can't remember. I read it about 12 years ago. I'll need to read that. It's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Yes, lovely to be here. Every week we give away fun swag. And if you want to enter, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or go on your Instagram stories and talk about the episode and tag us at Mending Trauma or at Amy Hoyt PhD. It really means so much to us that you take the time to listen and engage with us. And we love you all and know that together we can build a beautiful world. There's so many good episodes coming up. So definitely subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And go ahead and leave us a review because it is free and it only takes a minute and it would really mean so much to us. Finally, if you're inspired by this episode and you think of someone who would love it or learn from it, feel free to send them the link or post about it on Instagram and tag us and we'll repost a few. Again, that's at Mending Trauma or at Amy Hoyt PhD. We love you. We'll be back in a few days. Keep healing.